are on Prophet 3 of 4 that we're going through in our sermon series called Minor Prophets, Major Lessons. Sometimes I almost say Major Prophets, Minor Lessons. So I've got to take a second and, and think about that before, before I say it. Uh, but we are going through Nahum today. So if you have your Bibles this morning, want to open those up, get it to Nahum. We're not reading all three chapters. Huge book, you know, huge, huge Minor Prophet. Just three chapters long, you could read it through in just a few minutes, really. We're not going to read through all three chapters this morning, but I would love for you to spend some time in your personal Bible reading this, this week and read through that. You could read through it a few times if you really wanted to. And after the sermon this morning, you'll have a pretty decent overview for what the book is all about, what its context is, and why its message is still important today. And I'll just go ahead and let you know, before, if, if you've never read it before and you don't know kind of the general theme and what it's about, Nahum's message is all about how God ultimately handles evil. And there's a specific context in which Nahum's message takes place. However, there's a pretty major lesson for us there as, as well. Uh, the problem of evil is something that everyone deals with eventually. If you, maybe you haven't had an experience that you'd really say, oh, this was you know, me dealing with evil. But we live in a world that's broken by sin. And if you haven't dealt with that idea philosophically or spiritually, like how does God handle evil and the problem of evil in this world? You've certainly dealt with it practically in some way. We've all experienced it. We've all participated in it. We've all been disgusted by it. We've all been hurt by it. And we've even been tempted by it. And the existence of evil has been, uh, you know, has affected us in a, in a lot of different ways. For some people, it's a source of doubt in, in their faith. The fact that it exists and what is God going to do about it, you know, maybe sometimes causes us to question how we feel about Jesus or about God. Uh, sometimes it's a source for confidence that God must not be real for other people. You know, that, hey, you know, if there's really God, there wouldn't be evil in the world. And we know, we ha you know, somehow, you know, even if we can't really describe or, or, or uh, you know, put words to it, we know that evil ought not to exist. It, it shouldn't be a part of a world. There's something wrong with it. That's why we call it evil. Evil ought not, not, not be. We do all kinds of things to fix it or numb it or ignore it or exist with it. But mostly we just want to know what God is going to do about it. Ironically enough, alongside our notion of God and the problem of evil, uh, in comes this idea as well about God that we've identified before, this kind of a popular idea that gets bandied around, that God in the Old Testament is really violent and angry, and you always hear about, you know, oh, God's wrath, and, the, you know, here's the thing that's going to come. Well, Nahum is, is really about that. I mean, that's, that's one, of those, one of those texts where you kind of hear that about, about who God is, and, and you're going to get that impression after you read Nahum, because the passages in which God is angry is a response to evil, and his wrath is a response to sin, and he tells us what he's going to do about it, albeit in Nahum, in some pretty apocalyptic, hyperbolic descriptors. Nahum writes his prophecy in the form of poetry, and so he's got very vivid descriptions with a clear message for Israel against an evil nation. So let's jump into the text in Nahum chapter 1, verse 1. A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of, Nah uh, vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Now, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, you might think, oh, didn't we already do a prophecy of, with, with Nineveh, we did that with Jonah. I don't know if you remember that a couple weeks ago, or maybe if you weren't here, maybe you kind of know a little bit about the, the prophecy of Jonah, and you kind of know that, hey, there's this opportunity for Nineveh to repent, and they did, and everything, you know, we should love our enemies, and, and, and good to go. So we've kind of already done Nineveh, so this, is this going to be a repeat? Um, actually, it's going to be a little bit, little bit different. And if you'll remember, 
Jonah didn't want to do his job as a prophet. Jonah is, is when a prophet goes bad. So just keep that in mind when you read, read that text. Jonah didn't want to do his job. In fact, he tried to sabotage God's mercy because he knew that if God offered the chance for the Ninevites to repent, they might take it. And he knew God was merciful God, and so he didn't want to give them that, that prophecy. Uh, and so uh, uh, there's a little bit of a plot twist here, though, because Nahum's prophecy is not a positive one. So you keep reading. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. We're going to skip down to verse 14. <clears throat> the Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. At this point, as, as Nahum is, is, is preaching this message, he's writing this down. If Jonah was alive at this time, he would have been, come on, God. Why didn't you give me this one? I mean, at this point, Jonah is rolling over in his grave because he's like, this is what I wanted to say 300 years ago, you know, 100 years ago when, when it was my turn to be a prophet. And, and I knew, you know, come on, how could you give this to Nahum and not, not to me? It's kind of like when you get the, you know, the project in, in school and you've got, you, you got to do the report on the country and you've got your favorite country. You want to do Australia because you've always wanted to go there. And the kid next to you gets it and you have to do Djibouti or something. I, I don't know. And, and you have like no idea. And, and Jonah has to, would, have, would have felt like this for, for for sure. At this point in history, the northern kingdom of Israel had been taken over by Assyria. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Uh, their citizens dispersed, and Assyria still wanted the southern kingdom of Judah, too. So Jonah just missed it by about a hundred years, and, and you know he's got to be disappointed about that, or he would have been. And he could have been the one talking about God preparing the Assyrians' grave because of how vile they were. I mean, that's the message he wanted to give earlier. On the other side of the coin, though, Jonah's over here with God's mercy, and Nahum is over here with God's, with God's wrath. Jonah's just going to have to get over it. You know, Jonah reveals the truth about God's character and nature and his mercy. At the same time, there's a warning there against our natural tendencies when it comes to how we treat our enemies. And Nahum reveals just as much of an important truth about God's character and nature when it comes to his holiness and righteousness and the response that evil brings to bear. Last week, we talked about the prophet Micah, and we talked about God as judge and what that means and what that looks like, how God as judge is him making things right, not just casting condemnation on people or having a decision. He is a, a part of the beginning and the end. He's trying to renew all things. He's making, making things right. And inasmuch as that is a message of hope, it is not a message of hope for those who choose evil over God. And while Nineveh repented in the past, and they were a part of how God disciplined Israel, their cruelty and their atrocities, which are very well documented historically, uh, were not going to remain unchecked. Check out Nahum chapter 3 sometime. You can skim through it right now if you want to for a very colorful description of what is to come for that nation. The message this time, it's not for Nineveh's benefit, though. It's for the benefit of God's people who suffered at the hands of a people that have been consumed by their evil. And that's one of the things that's really interesting about what we when we read about God's vengeance or his wrath being meted out, those kinds of things, we think, oh, he's being angry and violent. Well, it's actually bringing hope for anyone who's actually experienced evil. 
So there's a little bit of perspective shift there for us. If we've had pretty cushy lives, we haven't really had to deal with evil in a very you know, face-to-face kind of way, we might not understand what it means to be hopeful that there's someone who will meet out justice and righteousness against gross evil. Evil to the scale of God's response to empires that rise and fall throughout biblical history um, hasn't gone anywhere. That evil, you know, the, the type of evil the Assyrians had, the way they treated people, the way they conquered people, the way they enslaved people, that kind of stuff still exists. For all of our knowledge, for all of our advances in technology, for all of our wisdom, um, that evil still exists. We live in a world where North Korea exists, which probably, we, we stream this kind of stuff. I probably shouldn't say that, that I'm probably going to get hacked or something like that. Um, if you've ever heard any testimonies about what life is like there, um, there's no question about whether or not there's a nation there that is in the throes of evil. You know, our films, though, our clothing, our manufacturing, major sporting events, they don't skip a beat despite our awareness and protests of human rights violations. Evil still exists. Human trafficking and slavery, or slavery are still going strong. The poor still fall through the cracks. The trajectory of family generations have been harmed through racism. Major world powers still try to violently annex sovereign nations. Abortion is an ongoing crisis. Religious or political extremists overrun entire cities and countries committing genocide, and we could go on. I mean, e- evil, evil is still, still around. But the message of Nahum is that while evil continues to exist, God's righteousness does not allow it to prevail. So we ask a couple questions. Why does he allow it at all then? Well, God allows evil to exist because he allows us to exist. Well, why does he allow us, us to exist? To enjoy the goodness of existence because of who he is. And that nothing good that ever was ever happened outside of him. Without him, we lose our humanity. And so he wanted to share himself with us, so he created us to be in relationship with, with him. And we get into trouble, and evil per, is pervasive in the world when we, when we lose the image in which he's created us, created us in. God desires to be with us and for us to be with him, and he gives us a choice in the matter. And so that's where evil comes in. That's where sin enters the world, with our choice. And along with that choice is the danger that we will choose poorly, and we do. And yet, yet God still ensures that we have a way out from destroying ourselves with evil through, through Jesus. And because we have a chance, God gives us a chance. You know, God, God is the God of the second chance, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the over 9,000 chances in our lives. They just aren't infinite chances. Because eternity in the direct presence of God doesn't allow evil to exist. That's, that's why hell is hell, by the way. It's not because of fire and a red guy with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. It's separation for the presence of our creator and therefore the removal of anything we attribute goodness to. So we have this juxtaposition. We've got Jonah on the one hand, we've got mercy over here, and we've got Nahum over here, wrath. Um, and, and we have two things that are true at the exact same time. It's just that the timing between the two is a little bit different. Here's a reminder of an earlier verse we read, Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty punished. This comes from Exodus chapter 34, where God says this to Moses. And this is after God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments the second time. Maybe you didn't know that the Ten Commandments had to be given to Moses twice. The first time God gave the Ten Commandments, he carried them down the mountain, and he found the nation of Israel. Uh, Moses took too long while he's talking to God, and they got a little bored, so they decided to take all their gold and create 
create an, an idol, a golden calf, where they started worshiping and saying, oh, this is what brought us out of Egypt. So Moses comes down, he's a little upset, and so he takes the Ten Commandments and he throws it against the idol and destroys it that way, all right? So he's got to go back up the mountain and he's got to get another copy. And when he does that, God says, hey, I am slow to anger. When God passes in front of Moses, I'm going to read the passage in verse 6 of chapter 34 of Exodus. When he passes in front of Moses, he proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. The operative phrase here is that God is slow to anger. It just doesn't mean that he never gets there. Sometimes it just, the timing is a little bit different than maybe what we would expect. There's an old school Bible term. I maybe, maybe you've heard this. Maybe you grew up in a church where you heard this, but it's the word long suffering. Is anybody, anybody with me? Have you heard the word long suffering before? Okay, I see a couple, a couple heads nodding. We don't use, really use that word anymore. Most of the time we just translate that patience, particularly in the Bible. Here's, here's an example. This is from 2 Peter chapter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but anyone, everyone to come to repentance. I think I underlined it. Right. So uh, in, a, in an old school uh, way, we might say long-suffering instead of a patient. Here's, here's where that kind of comes from and, and maybe even a, a clear way to understand that. The word patient there is a compound Greek word. It's made of two Greek words. And the two Greek words, when, when you take them and separate them out, they're the words for long, and the second word is for temper. Okay? So when we read the word patient there, um, it, it's, it's a compound Greek word that means long temper. So let's read that verse again. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is long-tempered with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here's, here's why I'm bringing this up and, and pointing this out. An important thing to keep in mind when it comes to God's justice and his wrath or his vengeance, his anger, he's like, oh man, what in the world is going, going on there? Is that as he is making things right, he is weighted very heavily on the love and grace and mercy side. So what, you know, Jonah and mercy and wrath, Jonah and Nahum are true at the same time. God is very much more weighted on the mercy, mercy side. And when we have a problem with his wrath, it might be because we don't really understand the process that God goes through before he ever gets there. So I, here's just a little, little, I mean, the mercy, you know, thing is, is probably, is actually a lot longer than that wrath side. But I just want to give you a kind of a, a visual representation of what long tempered means and what that means practically for us as people of faith. On the one hand, we might think of God's anger coming too quickly because maybe we don't have a sense of the timeline of how long God gives people and how long he's waited and how many chances he gives us over nine, you know, just keeps going and keeps going. You know, the Assyrians end up take, being taken out by a Babylonian uprising in 612 BC. That's about 300 years, give or take, between God's message of repentance to them and when finally they, you know, Nineveh is overtaken by people that they had enslaved and taken over and they, they had an uprising and, and took, them, took them over. Over 300 years completely losing their humanity to the, their, their evil was so much that we would say they were inhuman. 
And that's the point at which God's wrath comes in to bear. That's what evil does to us, and that's why sin is problematic, and that's why God does something about it. On the other hand, there's a reason why I think we have a little bit of tension here with God operating this way. While God looks like this, a lot of mercy, a lot of mercy, and a lot of wrath, I think we put on him what we normally do, and that's why we sometimes have a problem with his anger. Because God looks like that, and we look like that. Get a little bit of mercy on the front end, but man, once you, once you, once you make a mistake, once you mess up, once you cross me, I'm, I'm done. And, and we, flip, we flip the script a little bit, and, and what we've got to be careful that we're not doing is when we look at God and how he's dealing with evil is that we're not making him look like us because he doesn't operate the way that we do. If we have been a victim of or exposed to some of the darkest evils of this world, we might be thinking, how long until justice? When will God finally do something? As difficult as this might be, it's also something we benefit from. God gives chances. He is merciful. And he gives people chances and chances and chances because at some point, there's not going to be a chance anymore. Here's a, here's a classic, classic example, I think, classic story of good and evil. Let, let's go with a Star Wars example. You guys are right. indulge me just, just a little bit. Was there a groan? There better not have been. No, I'm just kidding. No perfect people allowed. What if good wasn't patient? What if Luke in Star, what if he wasn't patient with Darth Vader? We would have never repented, and that storyline would have never, never happened. We would have never had that redemption and that deep and meaningful experience that Luke has with his father. Hopefully I didn't spoil that for anybody. So what if good wasn't patient? Well, then Darth Vader never would have been redeemed. That story arc, you know, Anakin would have never, that would have never happened. But also, here's the question. What if good didn't mete out righteousness? Well, then the Death Star wouldn't have been destroyed, and Palpatine wouldn't be dead. Oh, wait. How did that? Some of you that are Star Wars fans will enjoy that, that joke, maybe. I, actually, it's, it's still a little painful. Let, let's go back. Let, 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 me try to, let me try to put this all, all, all together by going back and finishing that Second Peter chapter 3 passage. All right. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is long-tempered with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, even in the face of evil, as you are looking forward to this, Peter is writing at a time where Christians are actively being persecuted. Since you are looking forward to this, they are dealing with evil directly in the face of their lives. As you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. The Lord's patience means salvation. When evil rounds us and it seems overwhelming, God is not aware, unaware of the situation. And God is not idly standing by. He knows the finality of his justified righteous anger 
in the face of inhuman behavior that refuses redemption. And so because of that, he is patient, willing that everyone should come to repentance. And sometimes the speed at which God deals with evil might bother us. Maybe we think he's too slow. Maybe we think he's too fast. But here's the promise that God makes to us about his character when it comes to the balance between Jonah, the mercy, and Nahum, the wrath. In dealing with evil, God's love and holiness ensures perfect timing on his mercy, mercy and wrath. The fact that God will not let evil prevail should be a great comfort to us. And the fact that he does not have a hair trigger should also be of great comfort to us. So let's go back to Nahum chapter 1, read a couple more verses of comfort that Nahum's prophetic, prophetic poetry brings to God's people. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Verse 15, look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. This, this prophetic message from Nahum is not to Nineveh, it's to the people of Israel. And it's, it's meant to bring them great hope because God will not let evil prevail. And he's given them plenty of chances at this point in history. At some point along the, lines, along the line, there is a finality of judgment that comes along for God's holiness and righteousness to deal with evil. At some point, enough is enough. And that should bring us great comfort and great hope and great trust in God's timing and how he's going to deal with evil in this world. Jonah versus Nahum, both are true, and we trust ultimately in God's wisdom that he will do what ought to be done. And so if you are dealing with evil in your life right now, maybe somebody is perpetrating evil uh, against you some way in your life, know that it will not last forever and know that God will bring justice. And, and even if the timing is not exactly the way that you would like it for, to be in this moment, there, there's a reason that God has. His wisdom is, is far surpasses mine or yours or anybody else's. And, and he's, he's got a good reason for, for why his timing is the way that it is. For people who are perpetuating, uh, perpetrating evil, know that God is beyond patient and he's slow to anger. But the more and more that we erase our humanity and his image from our lives, there's a moment of final judgment and the discussion will have to be over. And so here's what we do in the meantime. Second Peter 3, verse 14, Peter gives very practical instruction for us as Christians. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, God's ultimate righteousness and us being with him forever, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And so here's, here's one of the things that I, I think we can take practically from this teaching in Nahum, what it looks like for God to deal with evil, his timeline of mercy and wrath versus ours. How do we work on living spotless and blameless, you know, the way that God has called, called us to be? How do we work on making our timeline match God's in our mercy and our wrath? How do we treat others? How patient are we? How long-tempered are we? How do we continue to do the right thing in the face of evil and trust that God will do what he needs to do? I got to tell you, there are way too many times in my life where... Um, my reaction is I, I kind of skip, I can skip the mercy side altogether. I don't know if any of you can relate. And I go straight to the wrath or straight to the anger. And I can convince you, I, I'm good at that. I, I, like we sit one-on-one, -on -one, I can convince you, you know, that I was right 
and I was justified because I can keep a little bit, you know, enough information away from you that you'll just, you know, believe my side. You know, that's how, how that goes, right? So I'm right and justified, but, but ultimately, if I consider that and I think and evaluate that, I can see where maybe I've missed an opportunity to keep my temper at a distance long enough away to extend mercy so that an entirely different outcome could, could have been possible. Sometimes um, the Holy Spirit can be pretty convicting when we study scripture, and especially if you're trying to write a sermon, because in the middle of that, sometimes you get convicted of, oh, wait, this is, like, as I was writing the sermon, you know, there's a specific, it's not your business, I'm going to tell you what it is, uh, but there's a specific area in my life where I was thinking, oh, I need to repent of this, and there are a few conversations that I need to have with people, because I've led with my anger. My mercy was a lot, a lot, lot shorter than my wrath or my anger has been. Patience with people while we do the right thing gives space for God to deal with the wrong things. Not that he needs us to give him space, but sometimes that can determine whether or not we play the part he wants for us in those moments. When we take matters into our own hands, our timeline might be a little different than God's, but he's promised he will take care of it. And God will never betray our trust to do what's right in the face of what is wrong. May we live out that hope May we find strength and refuge when we are overwhelmed. And, and I just want to let you know, if you're in that place right now, if you feel like you're overwhelmed right now with, with evil and you're kind of waiting on, God, what, what is happening? I'm, I'm waiting for you to, to deal with this. I want you to be encouraged by God's message through Nahum for hope for the nation of Israel that he's going to deal with that evil and, and, and is coming. But I also want you to know that you're not meant to do that alone. And you don't have to. That's a, that's a, choice, that's a choice that we make. And so I want to encourage you right now to think about who you're going to um, allow to share that burden with you in your life. Um, maybe it's somebody who you're sitting right next to right now. Maybe it's another disciple of Jesus that, that you know. Um, maybe, maybe you just need to come and, and have, have prayer with, uh, with somebody here on staff. Um, wh- whatever, that, whatever, whatever, whatever that is, don't go, don't go through that alone. There are people who want, want to help, and we're people who have, have been called to help one another in those times. And so I want to encourage you to reach out to, to one of us. Go to velocitychurch.info or grab me in the lobby, uh, whichever it is. Talk to somebody here this morning, maybe over lunch or later this afternoon. Um, God, God is never going to be, uh, betray our trust in doing what is right in the face of what is wrong in our lives. And we have hope that his, his, uh, his mercy and his wrath are in perfect, perfect balance in this world. Let's pray. God, we, we give you glory and honor in this moment. Um, there, are, there are real broken things that affect, affect the trajectory of our lives for, um, for sometimes years, for sometimes generations. And there, there's not always clarity for us and what we are to do about it. God, help us to um, find strength in your Holy Spirit to continue to do what is right while you take care of what is wrong. God, we ask that you give us wisdom and clarity for how we deal with evil in our lives. That you might empower us to live lives personally that are, are blameless, that are focused on you, um, that are our discipleship in Jesus' is. Um, how we decide to face whatever we have going on in our lives. 
God, we look forward to how, how you make things right. We look forward to, to the day when you will finally deal with sin. In the meantime, we ask that you help us to be the people that you have called us to be so that we can invite other people into looking forward to that day along with us. God, we praise you for your, for your love and your grace and mercy. And God, we praise you for your glory and your holiness and your righteousness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.